The following sermon by Nelson Atwood was recorded at Noble Park Evangelical Baptist Church. For more information, please visit their website at www.noblebaptist.org.au That's www.noblebaptist.org.au We read the story, three prominent figures. There is Peter, there is Judas, and there is, in a lesser extent, there is Matthias. And as I studied and thought and considered what the message would be that the Lord would have us consider for this Sunday morning, what came to mind was a phrase that comes up down in verse number 24. And when the disciples prayed, they said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all. And that phrase, that little part of the verse there stuck in my mind. And I began to think about these three men and how they got there and their journey, their story that led to this scene in the upper room. Two of them are there, one is not. There's Peter, the leader of the twelve. How did he get to be here in the upper room? And how did he get to be a very prominent figure throughout the first half of the book of Acts, leading the early church. There's the story of Judas, the last of the twelve always mentioned. He is excluded from the group in the upper room, dead through suicide, and yet his story occupies a good chunk of this passage. And then there's Matthias. He is unknown up until this point mentioned here and never heard of again in the pages of Scripture before or after. And yet his story, as I stopped to think about the few things that were said about him, his story became quite compelling. I wonder if three and a half years earlier, any of these men would have dreamed of being where they are now. Judas, if you take his story back to just before he committed suicide. I think Peter would have expected to be still fishing for actual fish. Matthias, whose trade or profession we don't know, most likely he still expected to be continuing in that same trade and profession. In those days, people didn't jump jobs every couple of years. They stayed in their trade or profession for a lifetime. No doubt Matthias thought he would still be where he started three and a half years ago. Judas... Possibly he would be still living as a zealot. Uh, We conjecture or speculate that his name Iscariot comes from the word Sakari, and he was a murderer or a zealot or uh, certainly a military man. And no doubt he expected to be where he was three and a half years ago. He didn't think his life would take this turn. But the text tells us in verse 24 that the Lord knows the hearts of all men. And that verse sparked the thinking that drives this message. The Lord our God knows the hearts of all men, including us. In fact, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, that the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. In Jeremiah 17, the prophet wrote that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? 
And in verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. The more I considered their lives and the outcome of them, the more I considered the journey they had taken to reach this point in the book of Acts, the more I was compelled to just look at their story and compare them. Luke is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And one of the underlying themes and messages from the text as we consider these stories is that the Lord's purposes cannot be thwarted or crossed or undone. God's purposes will stand. Peter's denial of the Lord could not stop God's message, God's purpose, sorry, for him or for his later ministry, for the Lord knew Peter's heart. Judas' betrayal of the Lord Jesus could not counter or prevent God's purposes through the Lord Jesus. In fact, they played very neatly into the hand of God just as God had purposed. The Lord knew the heart of Judas even as He chose him along with the other eleven. Matthias' initial exclusion for three years of close ministry, training with the twelve, did not thwart God's purposes for him. He followed everywhere they went. He was a witness to all that Jesus did and saw. The Lord knew the heart of this man, and God's purposes for him were worked out exactly as God had planned. I want to look first of all at Matthias. The Lord knew the heart of Matthias. You can follow along in your note sheet there if you would like. We know almost nothing about him except for the few simple facts that are given in Acts 1.21 and 1.22. We'll read those verses. The Bible says, So one of the men who accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. We know a little bit about Matthias from those texts. We know he had accompanied the disciples during the Lord's earthly ministry from Jesus' baptism all the way until Jesus' ascension. He was a witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was qualified to be an apostle alongside all of the other eleven. And we can draw these two simple lessons from his life, that Matthias was faithful to the Lord despite his absence of recognition or inclusion from the select 12 disciples. Matthias was also patient, waiting for his opportunity to serve. And from a few texts in the Gospels and here in the upper room, we can easily deduce that there are about 90 to 100 men and women outside the 12 who were following closely, even when many, many others turned away. Matthias was a faithful disciple when nobody was looking. Matthias was a faithful disciple when the New Testament writers were collecting notes for their writings and his name was never included. He followed, he witnessed, 
He was there for all of Jesus' ministry. Jesus, the Lord, who knew the hearts of all men, knew Matthias. He knew at the right moment he would be the man for the job. Faithfulness to the Lord in the little things is rewarded. That's a lesson from Matthias' life. He gets one simple mention in Scripture. Two verses that describe his name. Nothing else is said about this dear man. We know that God used him. We know that he was an apostle. We know that he followed faithfully. Faithfulness when nobody is looking is what counts. Faithfulness, brothers and sisters, in the prayer closet when we are absolutely alone and the only one that sees us in what we are doing is the Lord Himself. And the Lord knows the hearts of all of us. It's easy in some senses to stand in front of a group and preach and say great things about God. It's easy to lead prayer in front of a great group of people when everybody's watching and everybody's listening. It's a whole lot different to be faithful day in and day out in your prayer closet when nobody sees but God and God alone. But Jesus told the disciples that the Lord who sees in secret will reward openly. Brother and sister in Christ, if you're wondering why there is no ministry given to you, you're wondering why it seems like everybody else has an opportunity to serve, but not you. Here is my lesson this morning from the life of Matthias. Be faithful in those little things that nobody sees because God sees and in God's time, He will reward. When they stood up in front of 120 other people in that upper room and Matthias was chosen, the Lord rewarded him for his faithfulness. We don't know the story of Matthias. We know nothing else about him. We don't know where he went. We don't know where he preached. We don't know what ministry he was involved in. But we do know simply this, that every disciple would died a violent death except for one for their testimony to Christ. They all endured countless sufferings and hardships for their faith and testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I have no doubt in my mind that Matthias was one of those that died a violent death for his faith in the Lord Jesus. You say, how do you know that? I don't. I just look at his life. I look at what little is said about him that says so much. And I think here is a man who was faithful to God when nobody was looking and God rewarded him for his faithfulness. Jesus said in Luke 16, verse 10, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And this man, Matthias, when everybody else was running away, he was there. He followed along. He accompanied the 12 everywhere they went. Right back before Jesus' public ministry began, he was there when Jesus was baptized and he was there when Jesus ascended into glory. He was faithful. The Lord knew Matthias' heart and he rewarded his faithfulness. And next, I want to consider the Lord knowing Peter's heart. Let's consider Peter's story. The Lord knew Peter's heart when he sat and taught from his boat. You remember the scene where Jesus comes down and he's standing on the beach and he's preaching and he looks over at Peter and Peter is sitting in his boat and he gets into the boat alongside of Peter and he says, put away for land a little bit. And Peter rows out and they sit there on the water and Jesus preaches away at the crowd. And then he turns and he looks at Peter and he says, put out your nets for a catch. And Peter says, oh, Lord, we've worked all night. 
I'm tired. I want to go home. It's time for breakfast. I'm done with this. I want to go home. He didn't say all that, but that's in the, you can see the thoughts in his mind as he's sitting in the boat. He says, but nevertheless, in your word, I will put out the net, singular. And he throws the net over the boat and he begins to pull it in. And the net is so full of fishes. And you can see Peter and the Lord Jesus together. And they're laughing and they're getting splashed and they're pulling the boat, the net in. And as they're pulling it in, Peter realizes this is no ordinary rabbi sitting in the boat with him. And the holiness of the living God confronts Peter in that moment. And the Bible says in Luke 5, verse 8, when Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. The Lord Jesus knew his heart. He knew his heart as he spent the night in prayer. In Luke 6, before calling and choosing from the many disciples, those who would be the twelve. The Lord knew Peter's heart and the work that must be done before Peter could be sent into ministry, leading the twelve. The Lord was working in Peter's heart through that three-year on-the-job training to prepare Peter for ministry. The Lord prepared Peter and Judas and Matthias and the disciples by displaying His, that's Jesus' glory, in performing miracles. You remember the scene in Luke 8 where the storm is on the, on the Sea of Galilee and Jesus comes out and He calms the storm. You remember the scene in Luke, Mark 14, sorry, when the Lord called to Peter to walk to Him on the water. And Peter says, if it's you, call me to come to you. And, Pe- and the Lord says, come. And Peter steps out of the boat and he starts walking across the water. And all of a sudden his eyes kind of catch loose sight of the Jesus for a second and he sees the waves and the wind and the waves is rocking and tossing. I haven't been in really rough ocean water only one time. And there's no way in this world I'm getting out of the boat for anything. But Peter's out there and his eyes are on the water just for a second. And beginning to sink, he cries out to Jesus. And he saw Jesus standing on the water reach out and take Peter by the hand. The Lord was preparing him. He knew his heart. Peter saw Jesus' glory in healing the sick, including Peter's own mother-in-law. He touched Peter's mother-in-law, lifted her to feet, and she got up fully healed, fully complete, ready to go, and she served the whole group. Peter and the disciples saw Jesus' glory as He raised the dead to life. Peter is there in the room with Jesus. And the daughter of Jairus is lying cold and silent and still on the bed. And Jesus raises her from the dead. And she stands up and walks out. Peter saw it. And the Lord didn't just know what was going on in her heart and the parents' heart and all the rest of it. He knew what was going on in Peter's heart and He was preparing him for ministry by displaying His glory to Peter. Peter and the disciples saw Jesus' glory as He cast out the demons. In Luke 4, inside the Capernaum synagogue, Jesus is teaching the people with authority and they're amazed. And there's a man in the middle of the group And he sees Jesus and says, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of Israel. And Jesus casts the demon out and the people are absolutely stunned by that. They're amazed. Even the demons obey this one. Jesus was preparing their hearts 
for ministry, preparing him by showing them his glory. The Lord knew the hearts of Peter and the disciples as he spoke about repentance, knowing that they must all repent of sin. He was preparing Peter, Matthias, and the disciples for ministry. Listen to what Jesus says. You can follow along in your sheet if you want. In Luke 5, verses 31 and 32, Jesus answered them and said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus came to call sinners to repentance. At the end of the book of Luke, what will he do? He will send out the disciples into all the nations to preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He came to call sinners to repentance. In Luke 13, verses 3 and 5, some people come to Jesus and they tell them about how Pilate takes the blood of these worshipers and mixes their blood with the blood of their offerings. And Jesus says a most striking thing. He repeats it in Luke 13, verse 3 and verse 5. He says, I tell you, Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Without repentance, we will perish. Jesus knew their hearts even as he said it. In Luke 15 and verse 7, he says, Just so I tell you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Brothers and sisters, listen. Heaven rejoices over every sinner who repents, who changes his ways, his behavior, and his life. Jesus knew their hearts that they and we would all need to repent. Jesus knew Peter's heart and the work of God that was being done. In Matthew 16, Jesus gathers his disciples together and he says to them, Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And in verses 16 and 17 of Matthew 16, Simon Peter gives this great reply. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. God, his father in heaven revealed to Peter. He opened Peter's mind and eyes to understand who Jesus truly is, but just knowing who Jesus is, is not enough. There must be a change in light of that reality. Jesus also knew that there was still the weakness of pride that needed to be dealt with in Peter's life. In Luke 22, verses 33 and 34, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. You know, we weren't there, but in my mind's eye, I just can't help seeing the Lord turning and maybe His shoulders sagging just a little bit. And the heaviness of the words that come out of Jesus' mouth must have rang around that room, around the disciples. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Jesus knew Peter's heart that Peter must fail and be broken and humble before he could powerfully use him. And so sadly, if you're in your note sheet there, number one, Peter sinned greatly denying the Lord Jesus. Take your Bibles, stick your finger in Acts chapter 1 and turn over to Luke chapter 22. We're going to read together. 
Luke chapter 22, verses 56 to 62. This terribly sad scene. In Luke 22, beginning at verse 56, the Bible says, let's read from verse 54. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter followed at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else said to him, saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I'm not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Three times Peter denied even knowing the Lord Jesus, whom he had just proudly declared his willingness to suffer and die for. Secondly, Peter grieved over his sin. Notice that last verse, 62. He went out and wept bitterly. Literally, Peter's heart wept with a great anguish. Peter's heart was broken and crushed, knowing what he had done. Pride in that moment was crushed out of Peter. And Peter's grief over his sin was a godly grief. You say, what do I mean by that? Godly grief is the grief that God uses to cause us to flee to the only source of real relief to God Himself. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 7, verses 10 to 11, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what eagerness, sorry, earnestness, this, try it again. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, and what longing. The Lord Jesus was not done with Peter. Even when he looked across, you can see that moment in your mind's eyes. Jesus is looking across the courtyard, and whatever is going on, everything else seems to fade away. And these two men stand staring at each other across this great distance, and Peter's eyes meet the Lord's. I don't know what the Lord Jesus did, but I know in a moment that look that transpired between the two of them absolutely broke Peter's heart. He went outside and there was a desperate weeping of anguish in his heart as he realized what he had done. But the Lord Jesus was not done with Peter. He wasn't finished. The Lord Jesus knew Peter's heart. The Lord who was intimately acquainted with Peter knew what he was doing and he knew that Peter would turn again to follow the Lord. The Lord promised in Luke 22, 31 and 32, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And if 
you turn again? No. He says, and when you turn again, strengthen your brothers. The Lord Jesus knew Peter's heart and he had prayed for him. The Lord Jesus, knowing his purposes for Peter, that they could not be thwarted, prayed for him, promising Peter that you'll turn again. And thirdly, Peter's godly grief produced an earnestness to be forgiven and restored. Peter goes fishing again after the Lord Jesus is raised. And there they meet with Jesus. And the Bible says in John 21, verses 7 and 8, that the disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, they're both in the boat, and they see a figure on the land, and he calls out, brothers, have you any fish? <laughs> Can you imagine being in the boat? You'd be fishing going, there's no fish. And you hear this guy go, you got any fish? And you're thinking, that voice is familiar. In fact, we've heard a statement like this before. And they look around. And maybe he's far enough away, they can't quite clearly distinguish eyesight who he is. But as they begin to pull in the fish, what are they finding? It's full of fish in the net. And, and John, who is speaking, says to him, it's the Lord. And you can imagine Simon Peter in that moment. He has two things going through his mind. I denied him. There he is. There's the one whom I love. There's the one who I want to be with. And Peter, in his usual fashion, the Bible says, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. <laughs> Impulsive, impetuous Peter. You've got to love the guy. He throws himself into the water because he wants. He can't wait for the boat with the fish. He wants to get to shore, and he swims to shore as fast as he can to get there. And by the time he gets there, the boat's coming up behind him, and they pull the boat up onto the land, and they pull out the net, and there's 156 fish there. And Jesus has a fire going and some coals, and they sit down around those coals, and they're all eating together breakfast. And nobody dares ask who he is because they all know who he is. And in that tremendous and beautiful moment, Jesus turns around and looks across the fire at his friend and says, Peter, do you love me? Not once, not twice, not three times. And you all know the significance of three times why he asked him that. Three times Peter denied that he even knew him. And now Jesus says to them, Peter, do you love me? And he says to him, Peter, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, tend my sheep. In John's gospel account, that is the first time that Peter saw Jesus after the resurrection. Peter cannot wait to get back close to Jesus. And fourthly, Peter repented and changed his ways and his life. Repentance means a complete change of heart and mind and behavior. Peter going from prideful and argumentative to obedient to the Lord. His repentance produced a godly, obedient behavior. The Bible shows in the book of Acts how Peter obeyed the Lord. He returned to Jerusalem knowing what was waiting him there. Peter obeyed the Lord. Remember what he said? When you turn again, strengthen your brethren. And they're praying. And what's he do? He stands up. He opens the scriptures. He reads them. And he begins to apply them to the group there. And he strengthens his brother by replacing 
the one that was missing. He strengthens the disciples in the book of Acts 2 and 42 when the first great crowd of the church comes to know the Lord Jesus. What do they do? They devote themselves to the apostles' doctrine. And Peter and the rest of them in Acts chapter 6 say, you know, it is not right for us to leave off prayer and the ministry of the word, to serve tables and look after the poor. We will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. He works to strengthen his brothers. Later in life, what does he do? He writes two letters. You know why he writes those letters, First and Second Peter? To encourage and strengthen the church that is about to go through great persecution. He writes to encourage and strengthen his brothers. There was a great change worked in Peter. The Lord knew Peter's heart. Jesus, the loving master and Lord, allowed Peter to fail. He prayed for Peter that his faith would not completely give away, and it didn't and it couldn't. He who began a good work in Peter must bring it to completion. And listen, brothers and sisters, the Lord knew the hearts of all men and women, us too. No less. Brother and sister in Christ, He knows your heart. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah that He searches the heart, not merely to reward for right or wrong behavior, but also to shepherd us, to bring His work to completion. Some of us have failed miserably, and some of us have sinned greatly against God. Jesus, who knows our hearts, allowed that failure to teach us. He allows that failure to correct us that we might go to him and flee to him for forgiveness and help in time of need. Failure and sin demands repentance. Jesus does not forgive us so we can carry on doing the very same thing over and over again. We must grieve over our sin. We must grieve that we have grieved God. You see, the difference between a godly grief and a worldly grief on the one sense is this. A godly grief grieves that our sin has offended God. A worldly grief grieves that my sin has left me in a bad place and has hurt and affected me. Parents, if you're here, there's a few of you with little ones. Teach your children, if nothing else, Teach them the difference between I'm sorry and please forgive me. Because in effect, I'm sorry says I feel really bad about the thing that I've done. But please forgive me teaches them that this offense, what they have done, what they have committed, has not just had an effect on them, it has also had an effect on the other person. We must teach our young people and our children to not only seek forgiveness from us, but also seek forgiveness from God, even more importantly. Repentance and a godly grief is necessary when there is sin. That grief must bring us to repentance of sin. Godly grief causes us to to flee to Jesus, to seek forgiveness from the only one able to give it. If you're here this morning, and I don't know of any particular case, 
But I'll ask the question anyway. If you're here and there is a sin that has come up and allowed to remain between you and God, and God has been dealing with you, and I'm crying out to you, don't leave it any longer. Flee to God. Run to God to seek forgiveness because God in His grace will forgive. God makes it absolutely clear that God forgives repentant sinners. But God does not forgive unrepentant sinners. Secondly, or certainly thirdly, I want you to notice the Lord knew Judas's heart. Like Peter, Judas was chosen to be one of the twelve. In Acts 1 verse 17, you can see there that he says that he was numbered among us. Though Jesus knew full well the heart of this man, like Peter, Jesus was called up to the top of the mountain in Luke chapter 6, and all those disciples are there. And if you read Luke 6, you'll see these interesting phrase of words, he chose from his disciples the twelve. And meaning that all those men, women gathered there, way more than twelve, but he walked through the group and said, you, 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 and you, and you, and of course he got to the last one, and you too. And he chose Judas. And like Peter, Judas was called an apostle. The book of Luke says that in verse 13. Jesus named the twelve apostles. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 17, we can see that Peter says there, he has or he was allotted a share in this ministry. Very key. He's talking about the apostolic ministry to which they were all called to. And like Peter, Judas witnessed the full scope of Jesus' ministry, his healings, his raising the dead, his great storms that he conquered, all those things that Jesus did to display the glory of who he is. Judas saw it alongside the twelve. And similar to Peter, Judas sinned greatly by betraying the Lord. In Luke 22, verses 4 and 5, the Bible says that Judas went away and he conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might portray Jesus to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. In Luke 22, verses 47 and 48, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says, while Jesus was still speaking to the eleven, there came a crowd, and the man called Jesus, one of the twelve, was leading them. And he drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Judas, or sorry, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? There are some scenes in the Bible that are just so powerful. The Lord Jesus on the cross, lifting up his head and crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus going around behind the disciples' feet, washing their feet. In this scene in the garden, as Judas comes closer and he says, Would you betray me with a kiss? That thing that God designed, that physical expression of love and affection and friendship, he used it to betray his friend. In fact, one of the other gospels says that Jesus spoke to him and called him friend. And similar to Peter again, Judas regretted his sin of betrayal. The Bible says in Matthew 27, verses 3 and 4, Then when Judas saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See to it yourself. That's your problem. 
Judas recognized the reality of his sin. I have sinned. He didn't even call it a mistake or a slip or a bungle. He didn't do any of those things. He said, I have sinned. He got it. He knew what he had done. And he regretted it. A single word when the Greek for change his mind is metamolithis. And it means to be sorry, to have second thoughts, to feel sad, to feel remorse. But a change of mind without a change of ways and behavior is not what the Bible describes as repentance. In fact, the word repentance is somewhat similar. It's metonia. It means to have a change of heart, to abandon a former lifestyle, to change from one's ungodly, sinful lifestyle to a new, godly, obedient behavior. It means to go from self-centered to God-centered. Remember 2 Corinthians 7.10? We read it earlier. The Bible says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Judas grieved, but with only a worldly grief. The worldly grief that Paul talks about is to feel bad, to feel remorse for wrongdoing, but without any desire to change or to reform our character. Judas only experienced worldly sorrow which produced death. The devil having put it into his mind to betray Jesus. As soon as the deed is done, the devil begins to accuse. Isn't that just like the devil? You know, you really want to do this. You know, nobody will notice if you do this. I remember as a young man engaging in certain sinful activity. And the one thing that went through my mind over and over again was, well, nobody will notice if I do it now. And you know, nobody will see if I do it at dark. If I do it behind, nobody will notice. Nobody will see. And as soon as I did it, the devil said, someone's watching. Hey, you're going to be caught. You've sinned. You've done it. How could you? And Judas is exactly that position. The lie that the devil would begin to whisper in his ears and our is, it's too late, you've gone too far, you've committed the unforgivable sin, it's too late, you can never go back. And Judas, in despair, he goes, and there's a regret, there's remorse, but there is no repentance. Remember that while God forgives the repentant, God does not forgive the unrepentant. And Jesus himself said, as we read earlier, unless we repent, we will all perish. You take the scene of Jesus, or sorry, Judas' death in Acts chapter 1 and Matthew 27. They don't seem to line up very well, but we do know one thing is quite clear and consistent. It seems that Judas hanged himself from a tree and falling headlong as he did so, perhaps the rope broke or the branch broke. We don't know. But as he fell headlong, the Bible says he's hit the ground and his bowels gushed out on the ground. And the land is called Akeldama, the field of blood. And Judah's sorrow was overtaken by a despair and being convinced that there was no way back, no forgiveness available, Judas went and hanged himself. But brothers and sisters, the tragedy is that Judas went to the wrong tree. He could have gone to the foot of Jesus' cross. He could have pleaded for forgiveness from the Savior, and he could have had it. He could have pleaded for forgiveness 
Judas' sin of betrayal was not the unforgivable sin. The unforgivable sin is a refusal to repent and believe the gospel. Just as surely as Peter found forgiveness, so could Judas have found it. Judas saw all that Jesus did in miracles and wonders and signs. Judas heard all that Jesus said to the twelve and the disciples. And Judas heard Jesus preach the gospel of repentance and forgiveness. Judas' feet were washed along with the eleven. Judas was invited to share the honored place of fellowship at the Passover table. And Jesus, as he Judas approaches in the garden, I'm absolutely convinced that when Jesus says, friend, why have you come? Doesn't call him an enemy. Doesn't say, betrayer, what are you doing here? He says, friend, why have you come? And I'm absolutely convinced that Jesus knew the heart of Judas. He knew already that Judas would end up hanging himself. But even at the very last hour, Jesus was extending an offer of repentance and forgiveness to Judas. Friend, what are you doing? There's an opportunity for you. But Judas did not repent of sin or believe in Jesus. Judas did not bear the fruits of repentance. Judas did not at the end seek for forgiveness or restoration. My friends, as I stop and look at Judas' life and consider the course of the story that took him from that mountain where Jesus first called him to be a disciple and an apostle to the very end, what scares me? What gives me great cause for concern is how many of us look just like Judas. You see, nobody in the disciples even knew who he was. Nobody knew him as the betrayer. He was with them. He was one of them. He went out in ministry when Jesus sent the 12 out to preach and the 70 out to preach. Judas went with them. He preached the gospel. I have no doubt in my mind that he shared in all the extent of the ministry of those disciples. My friends, brothers and sisters, looking like a disciple will not cut it. Sounding, even ministering alongside a disciple will not cut it. Merely listening and knowing all that Jesus said will not cut it. Like Judas, we can fool everybody else. And I say that because for a number of years, I was a Judas. I could put on the clothes. I could carry the Bible. I could sing the songs. I could show up to church every Sunday without fail in my suit and tie and my wide margin King James Bible. I looked and talked and sounded the part when I was among those Christian friends. But God knew my heart. And the reality is, brothers and sisters, we can fool everybody else. We may even fool ourselves for a time. But God knows the hearts of all of us. And I'm absolutely convinced that just as surely as Judas stood there in the garden and face to face with Jesus and he called him friend. And Jesus would know that in a matter of hours that Jesus, as he was being scourged, or perhaps even while he was on the cross, Judas was going back and saying, I've sinned. I've made a mistake. I've done the wrong thing. I regret it. I I want to undo it. 
And the tragedy is if he had forgotten about the money and the high priests and all them and gone to the foot of Jesus' cross, he would have had forgiveness. He could have been restored. If we stop and think about Judas and Peter for a moment, in reality, their sin is not a lot different, is it? One betrayed. One said, I don't know him. You take the force of the words in one of the Gospels, it says he called out oaths and curses on himself. He literally said, if you unpack it, is may God strike me dead if I know that man. Judas said, yeah, I know him, and I'll lead him to you for the price of a slave. There's no real difference. Both of them denied Jesus. Both of them, in a way, betrayed Jesus. And Peter found forgiveness, and he found repentance, and he found restoration. And the Lord who knew the hearts of all men, brothers and brothers and sisters, listen. Whatever sin lies in your life, whatever sin needs to be dealt with and put away, I urge you with all of my heart, don't make the mistake of thinking that you can just carry on through this life looking like and sounding like and, and acting like a Christian and nobody will know at the end of the day because I assure you on the authority of Scripture that God knows the hearts of all men. He knows your heart. He knows what goes on. And he longs for the day when he will come and you will plead with for him for forgiveness and he will answer and he will restore. And those words that came across the fire to Peter will come across to you. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? How will you answer? Because holding on to the sin that Jesus died for Holding on to the disobedience that Jesus condemns. Holding on and saying, you know, I value my sin more than I value a relationship with you. Ultimately, it will completely cut you off. It's not those who know the truth that are saved. It's not those who can preach the truth that are saved. It's those who know the truth and have conformed their life to God in faith, trusting that God will accept. They change their lives to live obedient to Christ. They cry out for forgiveness. And by the work of the Holy Spirit in them, they know that they are forgiven and set free. Brother and sister, where are you this morning? What's going on in your life between you and God? What needs to be set right? What needs to be pleaded with God for forgiveness for? I urge you with all my heart, I plead with you. Set it right. Know the joy of that fellowship, that relationship. God will again use you. Peter went outside a few days later and stood up in front of all the people of Jerusalem and, and preached the gospel. First great, massively powerful sermon delivered on Pentecost morning. How many in the crowd looked up and thought, 
I saw him. He was at the fire. But look at the difference. I saw him. He was the one that denied Jesus. What happened? And no doubt Peter more than once in his life answered those questions and explained that the power of the grace of God, the forgiveness that God gave, changed him radically. The Lord knew his heart. He knew Matthias' heart. He knew Judas' heart. He knew Peter's heart. He knows my heart, and he knows your heart. Come and agree with God about your heart and seek forgiveness. I plead with you. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray, and then we're going to sing the benediction together.